Ink and Artifacts Podcast, Episode 2, aired on June 24th, 2017. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ink and Artifacts podcast, the podcast about the art, practice, and application of storytelling throughout history. I'm your host, EJ Spurl, and you can find all my social media as well as episodes past, present, and future on inkandartifacts.ejspurl.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ink and Artifacts podcast, the podcast about the art, practice, and application of storytelling throughout history. I'm your host, EJ Spurl, and you can find all my social media contacts as well as episodes past, present, and future on ejspurl.com. So I'm joined here today by uh, J.H. Lillevik, and uh, he is a writer from Norway, and he just recently came out with, uh, this is your first novel, right, is Mark? Yes, it is. Uh, it's my debut novel. Yes. Debut novel is Mark the Marked Boy, and uh, it is a fantasy novel, and it takes place in the land of Ismark, and yes. um, it is heavily inspired by uh, Norse Norse culture, Norse mythology. Is what I understand. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, I. It's what I've grown up with as a kid. Uh, always, you know, I had a I had an uncle who was really really into. Norse mythology and, and and wood carving and so on. So he was very much a he, he's a very linked to nature and so on. So I admired him hugely when I was growing up. And then he started telling me stories about Norse culture and so on. And my dad started buying these uh, comic books called Valhall, which are basically um it's made by Peter Madsen, a Dane, and then translated into Norwegian, and that was my that was my start into uh, Norse mythology because I was a huge comic book guy as a as a kid. So my dad would basically buy comics book comic books for me every time he went on a travel or or whatever. So oh, that was yeah. That that see that's awesome. I had to buy my own comic books. <laughs> well, yes, I, I did have to buy my own comic book okay. as well. I had to, work, and I worked for my dad on sort of, you know, whatever we we did a lot of sort of uh, expansion on the house when I was a kid. Yeah, and we we would work for dad by you know carrying lumber or or um, digging ditches for for foundation or whatever, and that way I could afford buying comic books as well so yes but it was always nice when my dad was out on business or whatever and we he would come home and he he'd always have like one album of um elf quest oh is, yeah we we have that the, out here yeah yeah elf quest and um yeah valhall and also uh, a couple of marvel things he he he, he from time to time brought brought to me but he realized quickly that i wasn't that interested in the marvel thor as i was in the thor from the valhalla series yeah and there's a good reason to that and we could get into that if yeah. you... 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, if you want to expand on it, go right ahead. Well, it, it's it's my problem with the Marvel Thor is that it's not Thor. Thor is a short-tempered, uh, rush-to-judgment type of god in that mythology. He's a very just person. He's a very uh, noble person, but he is quick to anger, and he'll often rush into situations not thinking about it. And that is perfectly described in the Valhalla comics, but not in the the Marvel comics of Thor. So I don't have a problem with the comic book as such, because mm-hmm. it, it is a very it it's a it has a very deep mythology behind it, but it's not Thor for me. So I never really got into Thor until you know the movies. Yeah, then, then... The, the movies kind of changed the game. I think. Yeah, they they did a bit. Mm-hmm. So. So how did um, so you. You're you're about the same age as me, eh? You're born in 1982. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I was born in uh, in the southern town of Arundel in uh, well in December 1980. So yeah, uh-huh. and I was I was June 1980. So I'm only a few months older than you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I so I got I got a question because I I, I like to ask this to most writers is how did you know that one of your major passions was like storytelling. Um, perhaps as a kid, because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a very studious kid. I wasn't very, well, I was good at school. I understood things and I picked up things very quickly, but I wasn't very, uh, diligent when it came to homework and so on. And I realized that I could get out of trouble by telling fantastic stories and wow. that's that's actually surprisingly more common than a lot of people think because that's yes. uh, that, that's almost my story it's pretty close yeah and, <laughs> and it, it, you know you discover this ability that yes you know you're in trouble and you're not trying to explain it away but you're you're sort of inventing this story to impress people mm-hmm. and and it works for a certain amount of people it, and a certain it, amount of teachers, but not I think not with everyone. In my experience, it worked up until about puberty, and then you had to change yeah. things around a bit, a little, you know, because people tend yeah. to remember liars, and you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't weave these tall tales, especially yeah. when some of them were just so wild. I remember some of the stories I told when I was a kid, and I'm I'm embarrassed about them these days. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Because. As a storyteller as well, you do remember those really old stories you used to tell to your mm-hmm. friends or to you or to the teachers or whatever. You you did spin a lot of tall tales, and I and it was it was something that that when you when you told them you knew it was wrong, and then you sort of grew out of it because you realize that yeah uh, it, it is very much the the pinocchio yeah situation because everyone can see it after a while everyone yeah. can see your your nose growing or whatever and and it 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 didn't take me too long to realize that making up stories about direct consequences sort of was not beneficial for me, but it did uh, it did take me a while to understand that 
what I was doing was 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 trying to figure out situations of how I would have gotten the work done instead. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and it's really great when you um, reach that moment where you realize that there is a very useful um, uh, use for that. You know, I don't know yes. if I want to call it a skill. You know, and in that you can actually tell a really good story. You know, and I think I realized, like, I, I knew why I wanted to be a writer when I was, I think seven was when I first started feeling it. Like, wow, I really enjoy this. People love the story that I wrote. Right. Yeah. But it was around puberty where I, I was like, well, now I want to be a writer. Like, that's what I want to do with my life is I want to tell stories. And yeah. And, and you were a little bit more fortunate than me in that fact, because I was kind of floating around not knowing how to use that ability mm-hmm. because I, I, I was very often, um, yeah, I'd make up stories and I was, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily because of my, I have an injury on my right hand. And mm-hmm. as a kid, I, I was kind of isolated from the other children because I, um, I couldn't play the same type of games as everybody else because mm-hmm. of my injury. So I had to wear a, uh, a mitten on my right hand during summer and so on, because the, my parents were afraid that I would get infections or whatever. So they, they were trying to protect me from, from, uh, from that. And, uh, but when I was sort of on my own playing with GI Joes or whatever, I would make up stories like any other child. And I would play with other kids as well, but it, it, it sort of sparked something in me that I, I did like the make-believe part of it. And it, it stuck with me. And when I became a teenager, I started getting into sort of acting and, and amateur movie making. Mm-hmm. And I got a little bit of experience in that too. So it's kind of it's yeah. kind of kinda interesting how it, uh, you know, like uh, across the world, we actually have a lot in common. Yeah. You know? Um, now, uh, I, th- I think it was, I think I started noticing, uh, that I wanted to really, cause like you fall, you fall out of, uh, favor with your, with your passions at, at a certain age. Right. Yes. And, uh, for me, that was around, uh, probably around age 17. Uh, I had, uh, I had a daughter Yeah. and, um, that kind of took precedence in my life. It, it completely took preference, uh, precedence because I had to, you know, I, like, I had to drop out of school. I had to work full time. I had to make sure that, you know, that, uh, that she was supported, that my, that my girlfriend at the time was supported. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, and then in my twenties, when I kind of like started trying to rediscover myself and figure out who the hell I was, I started going out to these parties and I noticed that I could tell stories to these people that were like true stories or stories about, you know, like science and technology or some of my interests. Right. And people would start forming little circles around me. And I noticed this back then. And it was such a nice feeling because it's like, wow, like, you know, all these people are really interested to hear what I have to say. Right. And, um, so that kind of resurged my, um, or reinvigorated, I should say, uh, revitalized my interest in uh, in pursuing writing. And uh, I think around age twenty eight, I just decided, nope, that's it. I'm doing it. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It 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 it's very. It, it's not completely similar to to my journey until mm-hmm. that age. But uh, it 
I, I after my sort of teenage years, I I went into the army for a year mm-hmm. of national service as something yeah. every Norwegian yeah, male you, needs to do. You have conscri- or, or, conscription out there, yeah. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not that you need to do it, but it is it is expected of you. And um, if you if you cannot, you can always get a medical reason or a, a sort of a conscientious reason or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it 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 usually yeah it it usually lasts a year, and it really sparked my writing because I had helped a lot on the amateur film side on in the writing pro process and i would come up with ideas these were sort of sort of spoof comedy movies we would make and i would come up with the sort of set ideas and this friend of mine who was more studious and more sort of into actually doing stuff he would write them down so we would be the co-writers for for the screenplays and so on. And then I started to develop this need to do that myself when I was in the army because he wasn't there to sort of bounce ideas off of. Mm -hmm. So I started writing them down and started collecting all of it uh, in like folders or whatever. And, um, then I then I started um, film school, and my screenwriting um, prowess or my screenwriting uh, ideas became bigger. So I, I I started writing even more and started writing uh, in genres I really liked. So I started writing sort of vampire movies and 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 uh, fantasy movies and. You know, big ideas with with sort of big sets. Now, you may not know Norwegian film, the Norwegian film industry, but at the time that wasn't really well thought of because you had to make sort of drama movies. Mm-hmm. You, you had to, it had to be some sort of social realism. There had to be a, a, a um, an obvious message in there. Mm-hmm. It couldn't be any allegories or 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 um, morale pro uh, moral pro- problems set in some sort of other setting. You needed to set it in some sort of urban setting with kind of gray characters just trumbling along with their lives and so on. And I never really liked that. And even though I got told by people sort of producers and directors who went to film school that i had a talent for it i never got into the screenwriting um sort of study um the the line for 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 screenwriting i never got into it so i just continued on my own and and uh i moved to oslo with my girlfriend at the time and we were living in a an apartment uh, on the west side of Oslo and things broke down and then I sort of didn't feel like writing anymore for quite some time. I I became completely drained. My ideas sort of dried up and I started working 
uh, as a security guard, night shift and so on. And I sat there. I was bored. I was a little depressed. And all of a sudden, the ideas came back Mm -hmm. like a year or two after. So about the time when I was 27, 28, I started writing again seriously. And that was the time when I met uh, a very good friend of mine during my life uh, who the book is dedicated to. Okay. Um, uh, and he was a producer for, um, uh, for a film company. But then he actually died four years after I met him. So, oh, dear. Yeah, it was, it, it, it's been a sort of turbulent um, uh, writing career. And, and that's actually his death contributed in me writing the book and also me publishing it on my own because I, I felt I needed to have something out there. Yeah. And it, uh, it ended up five years after he died. I, well, it's, it's almost six years after he died. I finally got a book out there. So, well, I remember you originally told me about uh, the, the book, or at least announced that you were writing a book about. Two, yeah. it was about two years ago, I think. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A... We actually started talking about the book two years ago. Yeah, yes. yeah, and I and I remember that, and I think I added you to my Twitter list for writers, and I remember that, and then uh, I was actually like stoked to see when you got it out because, like, yeah, man, he followed through. And I yeah. love I love seeing that you know when somebody says like well I'm doing this thing I and I love seeing them complete it you know and it, it like it's 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 inspiring to people who also have you know sh- struggle to put things out you know yeah and and, and I think it's very common because mm-hmm. as as a person who's uh, who have the sort of open personality traits that that are required for creative for creative work mm-hmm. you you do you're more open to the idea that you could fail. So mm-hmm. you become very self-critical and you start to sort of doubt everything. And, and, and I also was a bit into postmodernism, which we could get into later as well. So I thought <laughs> that everything I would, was doing didn't fucking matter anyway. So it was it was sort of a a really bad spiral because everything that I I wrote I sort of second guessed, and then this idea started percolating up in my in my brain, and I started thinking about writing something in a book form that had a likable person that you could see the journey into becoming somewhat of a hero mm-hmm. and and then following him on his journey uh, forward basically and well, and that's how the idea of ismark actually started with just the name i think i noted down the name um around the time when a, a, the producer friend of mine who the book is dedicated to were at the the film shoot he was uh where he died at Mm-hmm. So, I think that's one of the that's one of the weird things is that this idea was always percolating in the background during my uh, grief process and and so on. And I and I think it um, it may show a bit 
in the in the first couple of chapters. You know, it's actually really interesting how, like you mentioned, grief, um, like like you're using this creative outlet as a grief process, right? Because like I've yeah. definitely done the same thing. Like I had a, a good friend of mine die back in 2014, and um, that was a big catalyst for me like no i gotta get you know i gotta get this pick out there i want to leave my my mark on the world you know yeah, yeah. And i think that's all you, any of us want right so yeah you do and, and especially in your 30s or late 30s like like me i can't believe i have to i have to say that i never thought i'd live this long <laughs> it's okay no, but you it, know age, <laughs> age 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 suits writers it suits us. yes it, yeah. it does because in the middle of your when you when you sort of reach your mid-30s you start realizing holy shit i have wasted a lot of time being insecure or being a moron or being just vastly uh over ambitious and and then you start to think okay how how can i possibly push this and i think it it happens to a lot of male writers at that age. They start to realize that that um, things things need actually needs to get done. And yeah. I, I, one of the one of um, uh, one of the writers I've been reading uh, sort of a it, it's not really a self help book, but but it sort sort of is as well. The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I've been reading that a lot lately, and it is all about that, how you discover how to work against the sort of demons that that keep you from being productive. And it is, it's very interesting to, to, uh, to see that he names those demons the, or resistance, which is sort of whatever keeps you away from, from actually completing a work. And 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 I and I think that during your thirties, you start to realize stuff like that, and you also have a bigger perspective on life. I think so. You're you're also a more mature writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's actually uh, that's fairly dead on. At least that's been my experience. In fact, I think it goes even beyond writing because there's a lot of men I knew I've like I've known they either fix their you know they fix their shit up when they're 26 or they fix their shit up when they're in their last half of their 30s. Yes. Right, and I see that a that's lot. <laughs> What's that? That's me. <laughs> yeah, but I but the thing is is I like I do I do see that a lot on like not just writers but like uh, you know for instance I got a good friend of mine who became a real estate agent just recently, you know. Yeah. And yeah. you know like and 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 and, and things like that, right? Um uh, like you mentioned working in the film industry and I have some interest in that and I I might have something coming up pretty soon myself. So Yeah. It's uh so it's I don't know, I think age Age suits us. Is <laughs> the best yes. way to put it. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is very. It's a very true statement as well when it comes to to writers. Most yeah. of most of my writers friends are are sort of mid uh, mid thirties or early forties, uh, and 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 they have the same sort of well, a very similar life story on, on some level. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, we all have to deal with rejection, for instance, it's, it's not, 
it's it's something that we kind of get used to yeah. after after a while. Yeah, yeah, and with age comes wisdom as well, right? Well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> that's what we. we that's what we hope for. Well, it depends so, on whether or not somebody's actually learning a lesson from their life lessons. You know, yeah. I think that's what it boils down to, right? Uh, I chose from a very young age that when something bad happened to me, I was going to learn a lesson out of it. Yeah. You know, and I've had a lot of bad things happen to me, so I've learned a lot of lessons. So, you know, is that a is that a benefit or a disadvantage? I don't know. It's hard to tell. Right. I'd say that it is an advantage because mm. you you do how do I put this? It it's I I saw um a podcast with Joe Rogan mm-hmm. uh with Jocko Willink, I think is his name. Okay. I don't really I, I watch a lot of Joe Rogan and it's where I discover a lot of people who think differently than me. Yeah. Um and he he said it, it, this was at, not actually from Joe Rogan's podcast but they played a video clip with him in it and he said he basically said all these all these people came to him with um setbacks and every time that a person would come to him with a setback he would say good you know because it's good to have setback not not just setbacks you, you do need to turn those setbacks into something productive mm-hmm. and i think that that as writers we i don't I, I don't necessarily think that all of us handle rejection very well because i've seen some very sort of unflattering writers uh, spurg out over rejection yeah, or bad reviews. Yeah, I have I have seen that. And just, that just I actually wrote an article about that last week and uh somebody freaking out about uh, about getting bad reviews, bad reviews. It was just like, well, y- you need those reviews in order to know where you're going yes. wrong. You yes. know. So yeah. And and that that's a perfect um example as, uh, as well because I have a perfect example for this because I have a I have a very good friend of mine who's who uh, is is an aspiring writer, and he he has a lot of really good ideas, but he's also a very overcritical um, reader. So mm. he, I, I he bought my book, and uh, he read it, and he gave me some of the best feedback I have uh, I have gotten so far because he went through okay the the, the until chapter fourteen. I was sort of, yeah, it was interesting, but there should have been something more pulling me in. But after chapter 14, I was fully into it. And that is really, that helps me a lot because that means, okay, I need to sprinkle the ideas or sprinkle the the the, the sort of shirt-grabbing action mm. earlier so that I can get also sparse out my my uh, my mythology and so on that yeah. I also want to show off because I, I am a I, I love world building and I love to show off that I've actually built this world <laughs> so so I do have a tendency to to drop um, sort of n- nuggets of um, of mythology throughout the books because I, I do 
love to show off that, okay, this is not just a social realistic uh, view of a world that contains fantasy or contains magic, but this is, this is also, okay, there's something deeper. There's something that happened before then there is, um, there's a story of this culture earlier. And I think that actually makes the culture feel more alive and you need that, but you also need to sort of be able to balance it out a bit. And, um, yeah, so, so, that that is that is important as a writer to to learn those lessons. Oh, absolutely! Like um, I was obsessed with uh, like the Bhagavad Gita and the uh, Enuma Elish, which are like Mesopotamian Indian um, yes. uh, religious systems, right? Uh, some yeah. of them are just like the Enuma Elish, for for instance, is it's ancient. It's out of it's out of practice these days. Um, but I would, uh, yeah, it's like you said, you know, drop little nuggets, pepper in little elements of these mythologies in the, into the background so that the reader kind of gets a sense that there's this much richer history that's going on that might be somewhat relevant to what's currently happening, but you won't find out until later, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and that is, that is uh, one of the reasons why I, I love Norse mythology mm -hmm. because it is... It, it it it's still it hasn't been that long since that was alive it's about a thousand years yeah so it's about 20 generations mm -hmm. and that means that there are still nuggets of that alive so i have a extensive library on the sagas and on norse art or um Norse history and how they fought and so on. So, so yeah, and and sort of combining that with my own self-made world, uh, sometimes using God God's names but changing the gods slightly, mm -hmm. or changing the names and also keeping because these are that's what what. And I know we need to talk about this guy because this is one of our favorite people on the planet, both of us. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson talks a lot about um, archetypes. Mm -hmm. And the gods, the Norse gods, are very, very archetypical. They, yeah. they, they are the, they are, uh, they represent whatever they the elements of the world that they they sort of inhabit. So Thor as the god of thunder, as we talked about earlier, short-tempered, um, quick to or yeah, quick to anger, short-tempered is the same same phrase. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, sort of very very violent uh, and and uh, a very strong person, but also very just. So if he struck you down, you had done something. Yeah. For for some reason, you know. And Odin also very mysterious, the old uh, walk or, or wanderer, the 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 um, the god of the poets, and mm -hmm. and the god of mead, and um, and also the the god of the dead. So there there's layers of stuff there. And and there's also a lot of other gods. You have Baldur, the god of beauty, and 
and also the the god that's supposed to survive Ragnarok, and um, you know, there's a bunch of god, Eden, the god of youth, and the the goddess uh, in charge of uh, distributing the golden apples that made the the gods immortal, the gods of Asgard mm-hmm. immortal, and Frey and uh, Frey or and Freya. The god of fertil- the gods, the god and goddess of fertility, so and love. So th- there's there's all these there's all these archetypes floating around. So transporting them to a certain degree into that world, but changing their names, changing maybe their history and their interaction in the real world. Uh, I also have the gods interacting with. Uh, sort of mythical characters in in the mythology as well so it's it's very much it, it it's something that i love to do and i love to show off and and jordan b peterson has has made me realize exactly why i love it as well because it is it is so built into us well he, love- he he has such a way of uh, articulating um really co- complex notions Yes. Right. And uh, so that was what first drew me to him. But like it was definitely his um, his analyses of like the hero archetypes or even not even just the hero archetypes, but just like uh, personality archetypes throughout storytelling throughout history. You know, he talks about like uh, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yes. For instance, and he like was able to pinpoint the exact moment where like okay, well here's where it's like Tarzan, here's where it's like Beauty and the Beast, here's where it's like this, and it's just like all these fables that uh, you know we grew up with fairy tales, right? Yeah, are in essence just rehashes of what came from the Umalish, but they may have you know arisen independently for all we know. It's hard to it's hard to say, right? Yeah, and, and they yeah. may have they may have a common ancestry, mm-hmm. sort of that they that that they come from sort of an earlier um, an earlier tale, like 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 the story of Beowulf. Mm-hmm. That he has actually he, I think it's a second podcast with Joe Rogan where he mentions Beowulf. That that is one of the oldest stories that we have it's the hero that that is willing to venture into the unknown into the darkness mm-hmm. where the dragon is and and grab the the treasure and kill the dragon and grab the treasure yeah. but it 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 also you know there's there's uh, so much more depth there as well because it's a Norse saga there's also tragedy and 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 anyone who's seen the movie will know this, but anyone who's read the actual saga will know this even better because mm-hmm. it is it is um, it, it, it's 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 um, a story with a lot of depth, and yeah. that that's that's one of my problems with sort of um, a lot of the new sort of postmodern movies mm, yeah uh, as of late has they, they've forgotten that and they think that 
movies are just entertainment. They're just there to fill the brain. You know, it, so, they're just there to to anesthetize you while you're while you're slowly spending all your moment, money on popcorn. You know, um, I I, I, I kind of understand. I cannot understand how um, like Hollywood views that. Oh, it's just a movie. If you look at the fans of any successful franchise out there, yeah, they are. It's it's not filled their head. It's filled their spirit. Yeah, you know, um, and whether and I'm whether we're talking about like the you know casual fans like me and Star Wars, you know, like, sorry guys, I'm just a casual fan. <laughs> but like, if I were <laughs> we'll to, die for this, <laughs> yeah. But if, but if I went up to a hardcore fan and I said, for instance, you know, like, oh, uh, I think uh, I'm throwing this out there, Chewbacca was a horrible character, right? Yeah. Well, I'm gonna get my head torn off. Right. Yeah. We're gonna get some little bit of like mob mentality. Like they're gonna give me a public lynching. You know. <laughs> like, yeah, just... because it's 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 an archetype. It's mm. important to them. It's, Absolutely. It, it's. Uh, I would. I would. Um. Sort of. If if you look at the success of, for instance, Deadpool. Yeah. One of the, one of the reasons why it's successful, a lot of people have said, yeah, it's it stayed true to the character. Yes, it stayed true to the character of the trickster. Mm-hmm. So it, it was successful in the same way that the mask was successful. For instance, they 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 introduced a trickster hero. Yeah, and that's both of those movies. And and the trickster god is is always sort of. Like Loki in Norse mythology, mm-hmm. you're never quite sure of where you have him, but you kind of want to like him because you know, he is that sort of sneaky guy that could be beneficial to have on your side. It's kind of like, um, what's his name? Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah. Like he said, like actually, Peterson, I think, said the same thing of him. Is that it's, he's the trickster? You know, you can't quite tell where he's coming from. So it's like he could be on my side, or he could be working completely for himself. It's hard to tell, but you know what? I'm going to watch because it's entertaining. Yeah. You know, and I relate with that. I totally relate with that because, like, love him or hate him, he, you can't deny he isn't entertaining. Yeah, and <laughs> and that is that is the he's playing off the trickster uh, trickster archetype. Mm-hmm. He he is. He's being a bit of well, you don't know if you're getting Loki um, during Thor's bridal travels, or if you're getting Loki who killed Balder. Yeah, that's that. That's the two type of of Lokis you can get. Yeah, during Norse Norse uh, mythology. And the two faces, and I think that that really fits in with Yiannopoulos, uh, to be honest. Yes, yeah. yes. Because you, you never quite know, but they are extremely important characters to, to sort of have around. Because mm-hmm. they are the ones that... They are the, they, they are the ones that, that could be useful to have on your side... If you if you get into a serious scrap, mm-hmm. um, so let's roll back a little bit to uh, postmodernism. Yeah. Right. Um, now, 
my uh, my understanding is probably very similar to your understanding since we, we both tend to uh, agree with a lot of the stuff that Jordan Peterson says uh, yeah. reg- regarding uh, postmodernism, right? Is that it has its uses in cer- certain areas of art like architecture and, you know, th- things of that nature, right? But, like, when it gets involved... In... Well, I, I'm not sure if postmodernist and uh, postmodern architecture will would, you know, work because no foundation. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, but uh, but the thing is, is it's nice to think about. The problem I have with it with it is is uh, essentially how it's been boiled down to me, and it's been explained to me by a bunch of different people, and I've read it up to myself. It's really one of those things that's really difficult to understand if you if you're not familiar with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that it is working on the presumption that all interpretations are valid interpretations, right? And the concern that that immediately pops up in my head, well, if all interpretations are valid, then no interpretations are valid. Yes, that's a, that's the ultimate conclusion yeah. of that predicament. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so I just wanted to see what your uh, what your thoughts on uh, on it were. Well, it's 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 a kind of and, and I know this personally because I I kind of got suckered into uh, a bit of a, a a tiny bit of postmodernism mm-hmm. during um, because we when I studied film at Lillehammer uh, there was we had um, there was a part of the course I think it was the first year the second term of the first year we had po- uh, we had po- uh, postmodernism as a part of the the, the study the, of film yeah the yeah. study of film so we had a lot of postmodernism uh, philosophy thrown at us uh, Derrida and Foucault and 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 all the yeah all those all those, French, all those French, fan- fancy French intellectuals yep <laughs> yes yes uh, and uh, so, so it was easy to sort of, when you were at the lectures that were held by people like uh, a couple of feminist lectures that uh, lectures that we had, we also had feminism, uh, uh, feminist film theory. So that was right after the postmodernist uh, part of the of the um, of the um, course, and it was very easy to fall into that trap because it is uh, for someone who is very open to new ideas and and new ways of looking at things mm-hmm. you sort of start thinking yeah but that's actually very true there is very uh, there's a lot of different ways of looking at this and and yes you can you can write a story from two points of view and you would have two completely different stories. Yes, that is true. Yes, it is true. But it doesn't mean that everything that human beings have been telling themselves throughout time is a power play, like the conclusion that they drew out of it. Because it's it's not just necessarily the the, the problem that postmodernism discovered was the fact that, you know, there's many different ways of interpreting a text or a movie mm-hmm. or or uh, a piece of music yeah but 
the the problem was that their conclusion was that oh it's all based on power yeah so so if somebody is in a position of power having or or trying to broadcast something to you they're trying to just reaffirm their power so that's the marxism of postmodernism mhm also when they start uh, kind of messing around with uh, the sciences which have a very tried and you know, true method of testing what is real and what is not. It yes. becomes, you know, it, it, like there's some areas where it just, you know, they're they're trying to get it in there, but it just it it just doesn't belong. <laughs> yeah, and you I know? don't necessarily I I don't necessarily think that there's no room for postmodernism, but I don't think that it's necessarily the main way that we it, should interpret literature, film. Yeah. Uh, music and so on because it is it, it there be... is something there there is something yeah. there there's not just we don't tell ourselves stories just to keep our minds off of the fact that there's impending doom looming somewhere out there for us it, yeah. it's it's to actually project something that we admire yeah. that we want to see acted out in the real world mm -hmm. and that's my main problem with postmodernism yeah i and i'm inclined to agree i think um you know in terms of um art critique it's great you know great give us a bunch of different uh interpretations of the same piece of art because you never know the only one who can tell us what it actually means is the artist himself and yeah. a lot of the times well they're, they've passed away they're gone you know they didn't leave any notes on how to interpret their work right yeah and then yeah well that that is that is the problem with with uh, postmodernism used against living artists or living writers and and so on because you you chop you, you kill the author before he's dead so it's the death of the author <laughs> it's the death it's, of the author yes and that that's a that's yeah. a huge problem for me because my intent behind writing a novel is my intent and it's the the message that I want to broadcast. So it it, it any interpretation of of my ideas is it, yes it's fine that you you can read different messages out of a piece of book or or out of a piece of art or a book or whatever. But the second that you start um claiming that the author is something that he is not yeah. then we're gonna have a problem that's when it gets uh, troublesome right yeah no well uh we are pretty much running out of time here buddy yeah, yeah. it was it was good we should uh, do this that, again yeah for sure that was a, that was a quick 45 minutes i tell you yeah um all right, so uh, yeah, I was joined here today by uh, Jan uh, J H uh, Lilivik. I'm gonna, you know yeah. what? I I'm, I butcher the Norse pronunciations. I swear. <laughs> no but, worries, buddy. <laughs> hey, you know what happens. But uh, yeah, anyway, so you can uh, check out his book uh, "Is Mark the Marked Boy." Um, it's available on Amazon, and you can check it out at the link below. And do you have a website, Jan? Yeah, I also have a website called uh, jhlilweek.com. It's uh, where I post uh, my reviews of books, my ideas in general, and and also a sample chapter from time to time. 
great and so, i'll uh, i'll link that in the description as well um so anyways thanks for joining us today everybody until next time this is ej out and, and you can say goodbye to you Jan. goodbye goodbye so thanks for joining us today on the ink and artifacts podcast if you're interested in supporting us please consider donating to our patreon at www.patreon.com slash ej Visit inkandartifacts.ejspurl.com and use the contact form, or just catch me on Twitter at EJSpurl.